Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Amazon Seller Happy Hour. And we have some fantastic things to talk about today on our live show. Plus, it's a podcast. Plus, it is all about your life as an Amazon seller. Going to get some fantastic insight on financing, financing options. And I have a lot of um, difficult and burning questions <laughs> to ask our guest, Alex Sklar. He is with Payability. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you are Payability right now. So face of Payability for our purposes. Um, here to talk about financing. And you know, this is a great time of year to talk about financing because let's face it, it is December. A lot of the payouts aren't coming in or what I would think of as final payouts for Amazon sellers because right now they're still plowing back into inventory and then really they see the profits in January, February when the they're not spending quite so much on inventory. So I know a lot of people's bank accounts are feeling a little bit thin. So one of the things you are going to um, help explain to our watchers is uh, the different options out there because I know loans don't always work for people who are turning inventory the way that Amazon sellers do. So can you explain a little bit about why that is and why traditional financing isn't always something that's workable? Yeah, and I think that's a great place to start. So, you know, I think right off the bat, when we think about traditional financing, most people are thinking about like, you know, a bank loan, like, oh, I'll go to Bank of America or I'll go to Chase and, and I'll get a loan there. And, and typically for most e-commerce sellers, you know, a, a big problem they have is traditional banks still think of e-commerce as a fad. And I think with COVID, you know, it's starting to become more of like reality that this is one of the largest economic drivers in the world. But, you know, typically I, I, there's there's not a brick and mortar location. There's not like, you know, a, a company or a warehouse or something to like be able to pledge assets against. And so traditionally what 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 many e-commerce sellers have found is that large banks don't even know, don't really know what to do with them and don't know where to start. Now, in the case that you can get a loan, I mean, Amazon Lending has, has a product and there's there are loans out there, but then we, we wanna understand what like the difference between having cash flow and having available capital versus having a loan is. And when, you, when you're talking about having a loan, someone's giving you a, a lump sum of money mm -hmm. to pay back over you know a, a, a set duration of time. And that means that you have to budget that money. That means if you exhaust that money, you can't really go back for more. And typically, you want to always set the durations of when you're going to pay things back with your use. So as an example, if you're going to buy a house, you don't want to pay off a house in six months. You want to pay off a house somewhere around the lifetime use of it. And that's where the 30-year mortgage came from. There's a 15-year and a 20-year and a 30-year. But it was really designed to say, if you're going to use this asset for this period of time, you should be able to pay this off over that period of time. That way, you can afford something that maybe you can't afford up front right now. So if we think about like car financing, car financing is typically somewhere between three to six years because mm -hmm. that is usually that set period that someone has a new car before they trade it in and go get a different one. When we're talking about inventory, we want to purchase that inventory and we want to sell it as fast as we can. So we want a cap we want a capital solution that is designed to be able to continually be able to come back for more and have, have assets available. So that's typically, you know, it looks and feels like a line of credit you know, and those are good options. The problem with lines of credit goes back into the traditional banking problem of 
majority of the providers of lines of credit are traditional banks. And now you're stuck back into that, that mode of, do they think you're a fad or not? You know, like if you're a private brand or a private label or you're a manufacturer, it's a little easier. If you're a reseller or you're doing retail arbitrage or you're doing wholesale, it becomes more difficult, but it still doesn't solve the problem of Amazon actually holding your money for two weeks. And so that's where we come in with our solution, which is turning that net 14 into net one. So you're getting paid every day. So, you know, rather than, you know, Amazon holding onto your money and they have a lot of reasons why they do that. We could get into some of that if, if people are curious, but rather than your money sitting locked up, being able to access that money and being able to turn and reinvest in the business because you know what we've seen is Amazon will drive a tremendous amount of demand. And the reason that we, you know, payability was built was to solve one of the biggest pain points that people were telling us, which was I'm having trouble scaling my business because I don't have access to cash flow to be able to keep up with the demand that Amazon's driving. So that's where we come in and we basically say we can advance you up to 80% of today's sales and make them available tomorrow. And then in 14 days, when Amazon releases the full amount, we'll give you back that 20% we were holding. We really hold that for things like chargebacks and returns. But right. That way you have daily cash flow coming in and you can either spend it on marketing, you spend it on inventory, you can have cash flow free to do other projects that you were looking to do, but essentially being able to reinvest back in the business and not getting caught in that cash conversion cycle where you're literally letting opportunities wait until you have the capital to do them. Well, and really isn't Amazon for some people, not everybody, isn't Amazon really holding some of your money for 28 days, not for 14, because that first dollar in, if you have, if you have a reserve now, yeah. some, like I have a really old account. I don't have a reserve. Um, I'm lucky people who have newer accounts have reserves. And then some people, they get a reserve placed on them. And I don't think it necessarily always tracks to performance. Sometimes I yeah. think it's just the dollar amount at stake. It, it's just a risk factor, not because they are a bad account. Because I know some of these people, I've seen their accounts. But dollar one that goes in after your disbursement is actually being held for 28 days. They're holding your, mon your money for almost a month. Yeah, we've seen that 14 days creep into 19 days, 20 days. There are some, some research reports out right now that it's actually closer to 30 days, which I think speaks to what you're speaking of. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole confusion about reserves, unavailable balances, available balances. And I think if we take it up to the top of why all this is happening, there's 2 million third-party sellers on Amazon right now. It's and it's almost impossible to create 2 million individual bespoke rules. And so what, what happens is it's a race to the bottom. We've, you know, we've heard these stories about someone buys a computer and they get a box of sand that weighs as much as a computer. And, you know, then there are things like just like organic returns, right? right. So I buy a shirt. It doesn't fit. I'm going to return it. Now, that's not, you didn't do anything wrong. You sold me a shirt. It doesn't mm -hmm. fit me. So I'm going to return it. So there are all sorts of organic returns. And what everyone needs to remember, and most sellers on Amazon know this because they live it. Amazon cares about the demand side. Most marketplaces care about demand. So the A to Z guarantee, that is designed so we all buy on Amazon, but it doesn't always take the seller into, you know, into effect. And going back to that race to the bottom, they need to have rules that cover the fraudulent people. They need to have rules that cover the organic returns. And rather than make all these different categories, they put everyone into the same rules that way they don't have to make a, a blanket of rules. And what it does is it, it takes a lot of really good sellers and it gets them caught up in this trap where they're being treated, 
you know, and I don't think there's any individual, there's no like cabal happening on Amazon where they're sitting behind a desk going like, I want to be a jerk, you know, press this button. What's happening is they're going, how do we make rules that fit for 2 million sellers? Well, we take basically the rules for the people at the bottom and we make everyone live by them. And there's so many successful, great businesses on there that are being caught up into these rules. And that's literally what we look to solve. And there's other companies that look to solve other pieces of that. But that's kind of why that cash conversion cycle is the way it is. It's not a big conspiracy theory that Amazon's living off that money. I don't think it hurts them that they get that float for two weeks, but it really does come back to making sure that the demand side of the marketplace has such a great experience that they keep coming back and keep coming back. And that is always, you know, trusting the trusting the consumer first and, you know, beating up the seller because there's, you know, an argument that sellers will always come to Amazon if there's demand. So we'll just focus on the demand. And truthfully, it needs to be a win-win for both sides. And right now the win for the sellers is the amount of demand there. But, you know, thankfully Amazon's been very open to solution providers like ourselves being able to come in and solve some of those pain points rather than them have to re kind of configure all the rules for everybody. Well, and I think Amazon does recognize um, the same way that you do and that I do that traditional banking is not always a solution because first of all, you're right. I mean, it's, it's an old school industry. Um, they don't see risk the same way for online as they do for brick and mortar. But also if you're looking at a lot of online businesses, the cash flow requirements are very intense the same way a wholesaler or a distributor is, but to the bank, since they're not saying, seeing you've got pallets of inventory out back in a warehouse and you don't have a giant building that's an asset holding all that stuff, it doesn't really make sense in their calculations the way it does if you are a wholesaler or distributor with a big warehouse in the back with all the pallets and stuff. It just, to a traditional banker, they're like, why do you need $500,000? Where is it going? Oh, it's going in inventory that goes into Amazon's warehouse. What? Is it even going to sell? I mean, I think that doesn't, and I can understand why. I can see why that doesn't compute. So I think a lot of the, even the smaller sellers, they're looking at some serious capital demands for what they want to do that just don't fit any model. And then, so then there's Amazon lending. So Amazon lending to me is very confusing <laughs> because I don't truly understand why they make offers when they do. I'm sure it's an algorithm that tells them to do so. Uh, it seems like when people really want them, they can't get them. And when they get offers, they don't need it. So what do you see? Do, do you see any trends in the whole Amazon lending thing that could shed any light? Or is it as random as I feel like it is? <laughs> it's, um, so we obviously, we see a lot of customers who have Amazon lending. Right. And um, I've talked with many customers you know, who say they'd never got an offer. And when we take a look at them, we go, how could you not have gotten an offer? You have a tremendous business here. And so I, I don't know all the rules and, and ramifications. Like, you know, it's um, at the end of the day, it's not really Amazon lending the money. It's Amazon originating it. And it mm -hmm. was traditional banks on the back lending it. So I think they're still kind of going into very similar models of, we want to see things that look and feel like what we know to be real businesses, which is this idea of what a business looked like in like the 1970s or 80s. Right. Because what what is missing with that traditional piece is there is a limitation to how much you can sell in a brick and mortar store. Only mm -hmm. so many people can fit in the store at the same time. Only so much product can actually be on the shelves at the same time. You need to be in a location that people can get to. 
You need to have a certain amount of parking. And there are all these, you know, different criteria if we put on a checklist that allows you to actually be able to sell as much as, you know, sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. The e-commerce model changes that. Your store is open 24-7. If you have good sources of inventory and you have good demand, there's almost no end to how much demand you might have for a product. And now it's just a question of being able to keep up with it. But if you have your fulfillment correct and you are able to, you know, you know how to monitor your inventory and you have access to capital to keep replenishing it, there's literally no end to it. We have some, you know, D2C brands that we work with that literally double their revenue every month. And it's just like, there's almost no end in sight because the only end in sight for them is market saturation, right? They either have a bunch of competitors or everyone already knows them out there, but then it's a question of going global and getting your product out to other areas. Right. And, I, and I think traditional investment banks, banks, and all the traditional players are just now because of COVID and watching all this money pour into e-commerce, they're just now understanding this idea of you can reach anyone in the world. You can do it any hour of the day. It can almost be set on to some degree autopilot. So all those metrics that they used to use to measure a successful business versus a not successful business, they just don't apply. I mean, it, you're talking about two completely different like universes. And I don't know that the, the people sitting in those seats really understand that paradigm shift yet and understand that like, you know, if you have effective marketing and you can reach the people you want and you're using Amazon as a, as a demand engine and you're also selling on Shopify and you're in Instagram and you're in Facebook and you're, and you're in these areas that are just, you know, like even like, a, like a, what we're doing right now, this can live on in time. You could do one video for a product and you could put it on Instagram and you could get customers from that three years later. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work in a brick and mortar store eventually have to close. There might be a snow day. I mean, right. it's snowing where I am right now, but if you're selling online, you're still open. And so like, I, I think people are going to come around to shift, but I think what we're going to see on, on a larger level is we're going to see a lot of these traditional investment banks and players probably work with companies like ours, work with other companies that are already fintech that already know how to work with these systems. And they're basically just going to invest in companies like ours or make capital available because we're actually the ones who know how to deploy it. So if you look at Amazon lending, they had a, they had major traditional banks on the back end actually deploying the capital, but they were using Amazon to actually do the origination. And I think we're going to see a ton more of that. The, the recent purchase of Cabbage by Amex, I think, speaks to that as well, because what everyone's realizing is the demand for capital is there. People need to change their their, their frame of mind in what is a qualified business and what isn't, because you don't even have to be a business. You could be a sole prop working out of the basement of your home and you can have a hundred thousand dollar a month business. And like that mental shift of that possibility is still lagging a little bit when we're talking about traditional financial institutions. Well, and what you're talking about with acquisitions and um, working with companies like yours makes a lot of sense because in addition to the mindset, these people in banking and finance are bound by the systems that they have created for evaluation of underwriting and, you know, all of their risk management systems and finance systems that they plug the numbers into. It's not like they can plug plug these situations in and magically have it come out differently because you're an e-com company and, and really all of your metrics are different because you're right. What 
retailer out there doing even a small retailer in a small town doing a hundred thousand dollars a month doesn't have a store location or um inventory in the warehouse or something that makes sense that you plug into that system where it's got your inventory on hand or whatever you're, they're using to value you and determine if they can trust you to repay that money so it, yeah. it it totally makes sense that instead of building something new from the ground up or trying to edit this software that they've just kind of updated for 25 years, right? That they would embrace someone like you who built, I'm sure, a, an underwriting system that makes sense for e-commerce platforms. And, and speaking of the underwriting system making sense, it's, it's really about the speed too, right? Like e-commerce is fast moving. Right. Like if you're not moving on something, someone else is going to move on it. And if you're selling a product, you have tons of competitors. So you have to stand out in front. And unlike a brick and mortar store where like, you know, People like a pizzeria or a retail shop, you walk by it, you see it. And like, maybe you grab a menu for the pizzeria, maybe you smell the food for a brick and mortar store. Maybe you see some stuff in the window and it excites you. Maybe they're, you know, sponsoring the local little league team. There are all these real things that are tangible that you see that draw you into the store. You know, there used to be the old trick in Manhattan that they still do where they blast air conditioning and keep the doors wide open in the summertime because all the heat gets trapped in the buildings and it's hot. You walk by this air conditioning, get blasted with it, and it just draws you in. So it's, oh, it's nice and cold in there. And when you're selling online, if you're not doing some type of advertising or some type of marketing, and being on Amazon solves that, that, that problem a lot because it's a big demand engine. But if you're on your own store like Shopify, if you're not out there advertising, no one even knows you exist. Right. So it's like, you know, you always have to start by like, start with that, like showing people you're out there, but speed is everything. And when you're looking at traditional lenders, you know, they're, they're usually it's, you know, it can be anywhere from like, like a, a one week to a five week process. You're giving them finance, you're giving them bank statements, you're giving them financial documents, P&L, balance sheet, maybe a personal financial statement, maybe your personal tax returns. And you're doing all of this so someone can sit in the room and literally pour over the documentation. Whereas like companies like us, like we underwrite, you know, our application is 10 minutes. We underwrite you in 24 hours and make offers. You know, Amazon Lending, they put that offer right in your platform. Shopify mm -hmm. Capital, they put that offer right in your platform. And they're answering you know the pain point that people have is e-commerce is fast you know a lot of these companies are single owned companies where that person is on the phone they're on an email they're doing this they're doing that they don't have three four five weeks to go back and forth with an underwriter physically go into a branch especially now but physically go into a branch and get things notarized and mm -hmm. be you know i mean facts people are still having to fax documentation to banks Crazy. Like, who even knows how to send a fax anymore? <laughs> and, and so I think that's one of the that's one of the areas too that they haven't realized is e-commerce moves as fast like as fast as any industry that's ever existed, and it's you have to be able to keep up with them. To, you know, like all the different you know partners. I'm sure you work with all the partners we work with. All their solutions are meant to be at your fingertips. So you can press a button, press two buttons and get it going. And it's a lot different of a, of a system than going into the bank, having a relationship with the banker, sitting down at his desk, pouring over documentation. And like that, that world still exists, but it doesn't make sense for e-commerce. So if someone is listening to us right now and they are 
interested in you because they know that that traditional process isn't going to work for them for one reason or another. Um, so the first question they're probably going to have is, am I going to qualify? If I go to payability, are they going to accept me? So um, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what are you looking for in a seller? What makes them attractive to you so that either people know that they would be qualified or so they know what they need to be to get someone like you to lend them money? Yeah. And so, I mean, we have customers as small as 2000 a month in sales. We have customers as large as 10 million a month in sales. And we built our systems to be able to work with as many of the sellers as we can. So for someone selling on Amazon for our instant access product, that is the, you already made the sale. We want to get you paid faster. There we're looking for three months, uh, three months history of selling on the platform. And we're looking to see that you're doing at least 2000 a month in sales. Now, if you're a little under, like we can probably squeeze you in, but what we want to make sure is that we want the capital to actually be helpful for you. So that's where that that minimum requirement is. It's not that we're saying, oh, you're doing less than that. You're a bad, you're a bad seller. It's really about if we're going to be making your daily sales available, it doesn't make sense if I'm only giving you $5 every day. We want to make sure that we're giving you an amount that you can actually use to be able to put to work. And that's where we came up with our, you know, our $2,000 minimum it's a little bit flexible, just like our three month time selling is a little bit flexible. If you've been selling for two months, but you're hitting it out of the park, and we're seeing a lot of this right now because we're seeing a lot of brick and mortar stores now selling online. You know how to sell. It's just a new channel. What, what's, what's tough for us is someone who just starts on Amazon because what we've seen a lot of is someone starts on Amazon, they take a course, it's a get rich, you know, like you too can be a millionaire. And there's a lot of people selling this dream that it's effortless and it's still a business you have to work hard at it like it's like anything else like you could become a day trader and finance tomorrow tomorrow you could become a world-class chess player you can learn an instrument you can learn a language you can learn to sell online you just have to put the work in and there's a lot there are courses out there that make it seem like all you need to do is set up a store and have an idea and you too will be a millionaire and i think anyone could be a millionaire online i really do but you have to put in the work, you have to grow, you have to learn. And so that's why we can't work with someone the day they start because A, you don't, you might not have sales yet for us to be able to you know, advance you, but it's more, we've seen a lot of people come online and then call it quits after three or four weeks. And that's right. where we just wanna see that, like so what we're looking for is a professional seller. We're looking for someone that's looking to actually grow their business because anytime you take out outside capital, whether it's from us or anyone else, you wanna put that capital to work. Because you don't want to, you don't want to take money that you do have to repay, and use that for something that's not going to grow the business or generate more revenue for you. And so that's why we're looking for that three-month minimum. That's the instant access program, instant advance. So instant access, you've already made the sales. We want to get you paid faster. Mm -hmm. Instant advance, we're projecting what we think you're going to do next month in sales, and giving it to upfront in a lump sum of cash. And uh, you know, kind of looks and feels like a working capital loan. It's technically structured as a cash advance. Because uh, we're not a lender um, when we get into technicalities. But um, there we're looking for usually around nine month selling history uh, because that's how we can project what we think you're going to do next month. And we're looking for, you know, somewhere around 10,000 a month in sales. We can stretch here and there, uh, you know, if the business is growing and, you know, it's a, it's a good business. But we work with resellers, we work with retail arbitrage. We work with wholesalers. We work with private label brands. We work with manufacturers. We work with drop shippers. You know, for us, it's that you're selling online. 
and that you're looking to grow your business. And that's the two things that I have in common between our $2,000 sellers and our $10 million sellers. They're selling online and they're looking to grow their business. Because it might not always make sense for a hobbyist, you know, like in, e in the eBay world, you have a lot of, they call them the pickers, right? And they, they go to garage sales, they go to estate sales. For them, the hunt of the product is actually the thrill. Like they're looking to hunt for products. Well, there it's a little bit more of a hobby than necessarily a business. So taking on outside capital might not be a fit because you're not necessarily looking to grow your business. And yet sometimes it can be a fit. Maybe it's just a fit during the holiday seasons. And that's right. why, you know, we see a lot of customers sometimes show up in September and leave in January. We hope that we that they'll stay and that we can work with them more. But we do know that some people just want to use us during the busiest holiday period. And we're actually building product iterations to be able to cater to the to those people where they don't have to cancel their account. They can basically flip on or off and on on or off switch. Because what we try to do is always listen to the market and build what they want instead of decide what we think they want. Yeah, I can see advance being super useful. I'm sure it's useful to a lot of people, but all the sellers that I've worked with, I can see that being super useful for two specific types of sellers. One is, you know, I still know a lot of old school retail arbitrage people. Some of them don't even do retail arbitrage except in November and December. So they're doing other stuff. They're doing wholesale and maybe some PL, but they still get the itch and do the, you know, flip the toys, right? Um, so yeah. I can see that being super useful to someone like that who's got a nice revenue stream all year round, but then they want to go spend a bunch of money on RA for December. And then also for people who are launching private label, uh, who might be a sell. you know, there are a lot of sellers we've worked with who we say you've really got to diversify your streams of income within Amazon. You cannot just be doing the wholesale or the RA or whatever, right. and they want to do a uh, private label. And so they, they develop the product and they're, they're putting in their order, their first order. And it's hard sometimes to cash flow that when you're also cash flowing the wholesale business that you are already running to just come up with that 10 grand or whatever for that initial order. That would be super useful for someone like that. Yeah, we, we see, you know, we see customers of all types, as I was kind of saying, but we also see the we, we see the arc of customers. You know, usually people start out and they do like reselling or they're doing retail arbitrage and they're really learning the systems of how Amazon works and how they can become profitable, figuring out what SKUs work for them. And then we usually see them become, you know, more advanced professional resellers. They know the SKUs that are working. They're adding more and more SKUs. They've got their product categories. They know how to market to it. They know how to, you know, do their write-ups on their pages to, to really, you know, convert Maybe they're winning the buy box, maybe they're not, you know, but like, and then they start, and then there's like usually that, that next stage. Do they become a reseller that has thousands of SKUs? Mm -hmm. Do they become a reseller that now has exclusives with brands? Do they become a wholesaler? Do they go into their own private label, maybe take a product that they were reselling, do an iteration on it, and then private label it themselves? And I, I you know, I watch all these arcs and I think it all makes perfect sense. The, the only time that I think it gets a little scary is when people jump right into the private label. They've never sold anything online. They have a great idea for product. Sometimes they even want to make that product themselves, not private label and manufacture it. And they have never sold a product online yet. And usually like if, if I have the opportunity, that's usually where I instruct them. Like, have you ever sold retail before even offline? And if they've never sold retail, and they've never actually been on a manufacturing side and they want to go straight into a product. I usually say, why don't you try reselling a couple of those products first 
understand what the pricing is, understand what the demand is, understand what people are complaining about, you know, read through the comments, read through the reviews and see like, you know, if there's like a Bluetooth speaker and everyone loves it and it's an outdoor speaker and everyone's complaining that they wish that it would float. Well, maybe you should build one that floats and take an already existing idea and make an iteration on it. As opposed to just like, you know, I think a lot of times people get excited. They come up with an idea that they and their family think are amazing. They're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to create a whole company based off this idea. And it's like, that might be the greatest product ever invented. But if you don't know how to sell products online yet, start by selling some products. Then understand if what you have is great or if you're like just in kind of like a feedback loop of your friends and family that think it's great because they don't want to upset you. Or they think, but, or like five people love it, but five million people don't need it yet. And that's where I think like that standard arc of kind of coming in as a reseller or retail arbitrage, you learn all the tips and tricks and you learn how the systems work and you learn how to sell. And that's when you start to grow into like, should you have your own private label product? Should you be, you know, directly manufacturing a product and all those other things. That is fantastic advice and a really good observation because also, and I know this is true of every ecosystem out there, but especially with Amazon, there are Amazon only problems. There are Amazon things that you never would have thought of. So for example, if you've been a reseller, whether it's through RA or through buying from wholesalers, you understand what happens to products at the FBA warehouse. You know how they can get beat up. Um, you understand how important packaging is. And if you've never dealt with those issues and you do private label, you might opt for the flimsy packaging. And then if, you, if you've been a seller on Amazon and you know what happens, man, you're gonna have great packaging. You're gonna understand um, the crush ratings for the boxes. There are all these things that you're gonna get that just out of the gate, people don't have necessarily a, a, an appreciation for. It could be very expensive mistakes. Um, on private label because, you know, are you going to repackage 10,000 units because you figure out Amazon crushes every single dang unit when they're, <laughs> when they're receiving it? These things do happen. Oh, it happens all the time. <laughs> or how about if you, you put a label on wrong, you have two, you have two products, you have multiple products, you put the wrong label on the wrong product, and then F Amazon suspends you from even sending into FBA. Right. And you don't even, and like, I, I've heard that happen to, you know, we have some really, really big sellers who I, I wouldn't call it insurance, I'd call it assurance. And they use us for like assurance because they're doing so much on Amazon that even missing out on one day of sales can mm -hmm. throw off all their margins. And so they use us that way if they get suspended. We can't keep funding you if you are suspended because you're not making new sales, but we fund you up and you've been funded up until that day. And so we have some really, really big sellers who use us just in case, because a lot of times um, they'll get suspended for a day or two. And they'll resolve it. And it is literally something as easy as they have a bunch of people in the warehouse. One person put one label on the wrong box by accident and FBA suspends them for a day till they can clean it up. Takes them one to three days to clean it up. But if you weren't using us, that just reset your entire unavailable, like that, that just reset your rollovers and reset your unavailable balances. And now, now you're in that 28 day loop instead of a 14 day loop. Whereas if you were working with us, you at least got paid up until the day that happened. So again, I wouldn't call it insurance, I'd call it assurance, but we have some really big sellers that show up. Some of them are, are customers for life because they can't handle even one day, but a lot of sellers, they make 70, 80, 90% of all their sales in a four month period, and they can't afford to miss out on one day of those sales. But to your point, like there's so many 
nuances to Amazon and they're different than eBay and they're different than Newegg and they're different than Walmart. And they, each one has its nuances, just like each one has its niche of who's actually the buyer. You know, so like, you know, sites like Top Hatter use a lot of gamification with the 90 second auction. You know, Newegg used to be really popular for consumer electronics. Now they're, they've become a general marketplace. You know, Walmart, like, you know, says that they have the cheapest prices. Amazon has one of the best search functions out there. And, you know, and there's all these different, you know, moving parts that if you think you're just going to like, you know, invent the new cat toy because your cat loves it and you're going to manufacture this thing and you're going to make millions of dollars. It's like, make sure you know how to sell first. Absolutely. And to your point of the lifetime customer, something as simple as your credit card expiring can make you not get a disbursement for an extra 14 days. Um, yep. And you can request from payments multiple times. I updated my credit card. There was nothing hinky here. It just expired. Help me out. And they may disperse your funds or they might not. You know, it, it just depends on how many requests they have at the moment. Did they get to the ticket? Did they just kind of delete it from the queue? So th there are some things that should not be a big deal that turn into a really big deal. Also, we've had people recently who, um, so Amazon is going backward through verifications. So uh, people like me who registered on the platform a hundred years, okay, 10 years ago, feels like a hundred years ago, right? I mean, that's in Amazon terms, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, pe people who registered on Amazon like five to 10 years ago, of course, did not go through the verification process that's now required. So they've never asked me for a driver's license or passport or for a utility bill. None of these have ever been requested on my account. Now my account is very low risk because I have no enforcement against it, um, and I'm I'm a moderate volume seller. I'm not huge, so and and I don't have I'm not in any categories that are like you know high return categories or anything. So I'm I'm low risk. Someday they're going to come a calling and they're going to verify me because that's what they're doing. They're working their way backward and they're doing it based on risk. So anyone who has things pop up that are risky might suddenly find themselves going through the verification process. And a lot of times what we're seeing is they are rejecting people's documents, even if they are good documents, because they did not pass Amazon's automated processes and you will find yourself without your funds for God knows how long. I had a UK seller, crazy story, been working with this guy right now. UK seller, 10 year seller on Amazon, high volume sells um, tablets, private label tablets, quality products. Uh, in September, they asked to verify his account. He submits everything. He hears nothing from them. Then it in uh, early November, all of a sudden, they just put a hold on all of his funds because they said, we couldn't verify your stuff. It had been two months. They'd said nothing. They put a hold on his funds. We had to do appeals through the US team to get his funds unlocked, which they finally released his funds. By the time they released his funds, it was like $2.5 million they'd been holding. And the um, verification still isn't finished. So, you know, that when this stuff happens, it's a cash flow nightmare. So, if you're already you know, 14 days in, 28 days in on what they owe you, which fortunately he wasn't, he has daily payouts, that's how old his account is. Um, 
So he was at zero when this nonsense started. Uh, but, if, you know, imagine he was someone who was 28 days in and had another million dollars in there. That's just craziness. And I think people out who haven't been on Amazon or have never had an Amazon problem don't realize that these scenarios are why you've got to have backup sources of funding or you're not going to be able to pay. My nightmare would be not being able to pay your payroll. Um, I've had sellers before who have not been able to pay their mortgages and they haven't been able to pay payroll, which included family members. And I mean, just bad, bad things that have happened because they were already 28 days in, then they got suspended. So now they haven't been paid for what, three months, four months, five months. It's just backup sources of funding are more important to me. If you're like an Amazon only business, you've got to have some kind of backup. It's scary out there. It is, especially, you know, there's so many uh, businesses that they do 100% of their sales on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, that's 100% of their livelihood, but it makes up a tiny fraction of Amazon's overall, you know, economy. And so what happens is, you know, that, that there's not always someone you can get on the phone at Amazon. And this isn't to disparage Amazon. They have 2 million third-party sellers and they have a ton of first-party sellers. And then they have hundreds of millions of buyers and they have multiple products and they have an, an enormous organization. And the fact that they're able even to do it all is a tremendous feat. Like, frankly, like just as organizations go, they have a million moving parts. But, you know, it's, it's the worst day in anyone's life when their livelihood for a rule that's not clear to them or something happens or a retroactive rule happens. And again, this is not to disparage Amazon. It's, to, you know, it's to have the empathy for the person that, I mean, I think we talked about this once that like the, the phone calls you guys get must be some of the most heartbreaking moments because someone's going, I have spent years building this business up. I have no idea what happened. And it is just, I'm just locked out. And I've been hearing, recently um you know that depending on your buyer account you know you're a consumer that mm -hmm. like they're now linking buyer accounts or seller accounts and if you've returned too many items on your buyer account you can get suspended on your seller account and it's like well one has absolutely nothing to do with the other here i am a merchant and i am selling on your platform i'm one of the millions of people that makes your platform amazing and here i'm returning an item because as a seller you know i know when something's wrong or not and the, the idea that they're connected to me it has been like that doesn't make sense to me and like and i've been hearing some some more chatter that it's happening more and more and it's like i can just imagine it's the worst day in anyone's life when yes. they just wake up tomorrow and they say where's my money you know i i had plans for you know i was supposed to get paid today i had plans to use this money to take on these projects to to do this you know it's your money, whether you wanted to use it to grow your business or whether you wanted to use it to take your family on vacation, to just wake up one day and, and it's not there. I mean, it's why you guys exist is for those right. pain points. And, you know, we exist to hopefully make those pain points less painful because you're getting paid every day. But it's it is real. And it's, you know, they're they're hard moments. I mean, it's um, there. There could be a lot more empathy in the world and like, you know, it's. You know, a lot of times we um, we hear from our customers because we have live people on the phone every Monday through Friday, nine to six. And sometimes just th they were like, I just needed to talk to somebody <laughs> because I couldn't get anyone on the phone. And it's, um, 
you know, it, it can be scary out there, but thankfully there are, you know, companies like yours that are solving one end of it. There are companies like ours that solve another end of it. And there are tons and tons of companies trying to solve these little incremental problems. It's, um, you know, not everyone knows that they all exist. And that's, you know, I think another reason we're on here right now, trying to let people know they do. Exactly. And I, I totally get what you're saying about answering the phone. We we have people who actually answer the phone. That's a huge deal. A lot of firms don't. And a lot of the people calling say, I literally didn't know who to call or what to do. I can't get through to seller support or they're not helpful or, you know, they just need to talk to someone and know that they're not alone. Because yeah. selling on Amazon, unless you're in a really big seller community area like their concentrations of sellers in parts of new york and in utah and some other areas but most of those who sell on amazon it's kind of lonely it's not like all of your neighbors are selling on amazon and your your best friends from college don't understand what you do and it's it, and and when things like the sugar index happen so that thing you were talking about linking the buyer account with the seller account that's called the sugar index that you've violated somehow with returns things like that technically aren't even supposed to happen um, that's something that some people in Amazon would tell you doesn't happen because it's not supposed to happen. So when things like that happen, it's completely outside of all of their processes. And when something happens that's outside of their processes, that's when it's hardest to fix it. Um, it's very stressful and upsetting because there are people that you will approach with this at Amazon who'll say, that doesn't happen. We've got systems in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, those are my favorite Amazon problems. <laughs> <laughs> because you're like, come on, I'm seeing it. This is real. So that's that's why you've got to have the backup plans, even if the backup plans are, you know, got to have the money as soon as you can get the money. Um, okay, so I've got a tough question for you now, Alex, because okay. I told my team, told my team we were talking today on happy hour. And so uh, a lot of the folks on my team, they're ex-Amazon. Uh, they are uh, ex-seller performance investigators, account health people, seller support. They're in the nitty gritty. You know, they've got years of this working with uh, working with sellers. And they are were all part of TRMS, which is the risk management arm of Amazon. So, of course, they asked, how do you view risk? How do y'all look at risk with your sellers? And um what what should sellers know or expect or or again how can they best qualify themselves and position themselves from a risk standpoint with someone like a payability because like if you got a suspension yesterday you're probably not a good risk right or like if you just got reinstated or if you have 20 inauthentic complaints that might be an issue so we're just curious how you view it since that's what we do all day long yeah and it's um <laughs> it's a great question and I, I, I don't know every level of answer because we, we basically, when, when you apply, you connect your Amazon API with us. And we have a ton of machine learning models and really, really brilliant data scientists and engineers who have built these models. But we're looking at a lot of things. So if you were just suspended yesterday, it might not be the best day to apply the, the same day, but it, it depends on the severity of your suspension. You were suspended for putting in the wrong label on a box they were sending into FBA. Whoops. You know, <laughs> you're sending people boxes of sand. You know, and so like right. there, it, it's not just a suspension. It's what are your, what do your chargebacks look like? Mm -hmm. What is your gross versus your net look like? You know, what is your product concentration? Do you have a geographic concentration? Are you selling, um, you know, like what's your return rate at the end of the day? 
Do people like your product? What are your reviews like? Does everyone think that you're a scam? Do you, you know, like, is this your 10th Amazon account that you started? Do you have 20 Amazon accounts? And so like we, we've worked with customers who have multiple Amazon accounts and they're approved accounts because they have exclusives ex, an exclusivity with different brands and they want to have different accounts for the different brands. As long as Amazon knows about it and these are approved accounts, no harm, no foul. If you have 20 different accounts and you're starting an account every six months, something's off. Right. You know, and if there's a legitimate reason, that's why we have people on the phone too. We don't let the computers make every decision. We also have people who look at files for these type of, of scenarios. Doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, all the geniuses in the world, all the algorithms, all the machine learning, all the artificial intelligence, doesn't smell right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so you were suspended yesterday. Why'd you get suspended? That was your 10th suspension in the last 10 months. Okay, that's a lot different than you get suspended and you're, and you're unsuspended in a couple of days. It also depends, like, how'd you get unsuspended? Right? Like, we've heard there are, you know, there's some groups out there doing some not above board things, but then there are, you know, people come from, a, you know, from a group like yours, and we know that they were unsuspended the right way. You know, so, like, there's all sorts of different things when we're looking at risk. We basically put all these factors in together, and what we want to understand is, are you actually going to get paid for the sale? Because if we're advancing the payment to you and we're advancing up to 80% of the sale or we're making an advance of next month's sales up front, we want to feel confident that you're actually going to make the sale. So those risks come into, do we think that you're going to be still be selling next month? Or are you going to take the money and, and go on vacation? That's where that time in business, time in selling comes in. So someone who's been selling for three years, it's going to be way less risky than someone who's been selling for three months, right? Like we know you're committed to the platform. Someone who is doing more in sales every month or at least consistent versus very, like if you have a lot of spikes in your sales, there, there, there should be a reason to it. Usually it's seasonality and that's okay. If there's a lot of spikes in your sales because you sell a lot and then you go on vacation for six months and then you come back and you sell a lot and then you go on vacation for six months, that might be a little too risky for us because it's a little too sporadic. Mm -hmm. And those are like all the different types of things we look at and they're all weighted into like, you know, essentially a matrix. Because what we're always looking to do is we're always looking to say yes. We're always looking to be able to provide as much capital as we can at the cheapest rates possible. But the rates are dynamic because they go in line with the risk. And the amount of capital that we can provide goes in line with the risk. So it's not always a hard no. Sometimes it's a, we're going to have to start you out here. Let's work together for a couple months and get a little more comfortable with the account. And then we can raise it up. But when it comes to the whole world of suspensions, I don't think any two suspensions are the same. And I think there is a very, very different severity in why you're being suspended. Okay. Are you being suspended because you're a fraud? Or are you be, being suspended because you, you missed rule 873 on page 2045 in the rule book? That's, there's a big difference there. And like, are you being suspended because there's a rule that you didn't even know about that wasn't really you know, being enforced before, but now it's being enforced now? All those different types of things going. But what I would say, you know, for someone who was suspended, if it was your first time suspended, apply. Tell us what happened. If it's, you know, maybe maybe give it a week or two, because what might happen is if you were just suspended, we might say, look, it looks like you're just coming off suspension. We want to see your sales get back to normal. Mm -hmm. That may only take a week. It may take two weeks. And it really depends on, again, it, it comes back to the severity of why you were suspended. And it comes back to, you know, when, when you're looking at all of underwriting, whether you're Goldman Sachs, whether you're payability, 
whether you're Bank of America, whether you're Cabbage, whoever it is, you're really looking to solve three things. Do you have the cash, like, what is your cash flow situation like? Are you making sales? How much of your receivables are already being occupied? Have you pledged your future receivables to someone else? Are you already occupying all your receivables with all this, with all these other things? And then really the, the third step is, do you have the quality of character that we think you're gonna pay it back? And that quality of character can be looked at in a ton of different ways. Like we don't look at any personal credit checks. We don't think that personal credit affects your ability to run a business. But you know, we, we will do a background check because having a history of identity theft and financial fraud means that like you might not have the quality of character that we think will be paid back. That being said, there are people who do have uh, you know checkered background backgrounds, and that's not the issue. It's an issue if it goes against the like, you know, just like the severity of the suspension. There mm -hmm. are red flags, and then there are yellow flags, kind of like right. when you go to the beach. Green flag, everyone goes in. <laughs> Yellow flag, use a little caution. Red flag, you shouldn't be going in. It's dangerous. And it's the same thing. And like, you know, we can create all these fancy terms and machinations for it. But at the end of the day, it's what are you doing? Are you growing a great business and you, you got tripped up in a rule? Okay. Are you growing a are, are you growing a business where you're doing a lot of shady things to grow that business? Probably not okay. Yeah, you're speaking my language on some of the uh, risk management factors on the account health, because it sounds like you're looking at a lot of the same things we do when we do assessments on accounts. So, for example, we can have someone come in that we can tell this was a black hat tactic. Someone was after them or, um, you know, they just happened to have a whole bunch of returns come at the same time for the same reason. Or they got a bunch of complaints for a certain product line that obviously this one product is like a bad product, but they sell a thousand SKUs, right? And there's things like that where you're like this, you're a good seller, this was just a thing. And then we've got other people who you look and you figure out, oh, you're generating fake shipping labels and they think you can't figure it out. But if, you, if you've done this long enough, it takes about two seconds. Now the average person, you know, you kind of have to learn to think like a bad guy, right? And so the average person isn't looking at it and seeing it. We look at that data pattern, we can tell immediately, oh, you're generating fake labels and maybe shipping later and maybe not, I can't tell. And, you know, things like that, that pop out. So, um, so folks out there who think that you should be opening new accounts all the time as backup accounts, um, you know, we're not the only people who tell you not to do that. The If you want lending, they don't want you doing that either. It makes you look risky and shady. It just does. And yeah. that's been standard advice from a lot of people for a long time. And it is bad advice. It makes you look shady. You don't want to be shady if you need cash later. Well, and it's like, it's like the whole world of drop shipping, right? There's really good drop shipping. There's drop shipping that is a no-brainer. <laughs> Yes. I sold the item rather than having the manufacturer ship it to me to then ship it again and pay for shipping twice. I have the manufacturer ship it directly to you. I'm acting as the marketing arm for a manufacturer essentially. Right. And then there's people who sell the product, take the money, and then they go race and try to buy the product. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point you might not be able to buy that product and then that's going to be returned. And there's like, you know, people look at drop shippers and they look disparagingly on it. I think drop shipping is going to be we're going to see a lot more of it over time because if I can act, you know, essentially dropshippers can become the new, you know, like certified resellers mm -hmm. of manufacturers. The manufacturer may not know how to do the marketing to get their product out there. And they may want someone who's using a Shopify site or, you know, 
working with Amazon and basically saying like, I'm really good at marketing. I'm not really good at, you know, like there's other parts that you do well. Let me be your marketing agent, marketing arm up front. And when we think about like the whole world of like, you know, telecom, you had, you had VARs, value-added resellers. These were people that basically, you know, you have a law firm, you have an office, you want 20 computers, five printers, 20 monitors, a server and all that stuff. And you would have these value-added resellers that were basically purchasing from, you know, master VARs and master distributors are purchasing Microsoft products, whether that's from like a Cinex or a Tech Data or, or an Ingram Micro. And then they're basically bringing that product to you. They're giving you a little software on top of it. They're installing Salesforce. They're installing, you know, Microsoft Office. And, may, and maybe they're even training your team on it. And that became an entire, it's still an enormous industry. And mm -hmm. it's this whole industry of saying, yes, we want these resellers to resell our product, right? The whole world of credit card processing is usually all these, they're called ISOs, independent selling organizations, and they are reselling the product for the, the payment companies. I could see a whole world where drop shippers become that like official reselling arm of these mm -hmm. manufacturers because they're better at the marketing. They can focus all their attention on just drawing people into the funnel. And they don't have the same type of overhead that you would need to run the plant, actually manufacture the product. And so drop shipping, I think, has gotten beat up because, again, it goes back to that. Are you doing this to run a business or are you doing this to do a get rich quick scheme? Get rich quick schemes are, are usually found out pretty quickly. If you're doing it to run a legitimate business, we work with some drop shippers that are that are amazing. We've also worked with some drop shippers that don't necessarily do it the, the right way. And it's, you know, it, it's just riskier. So like, you know, I think just like suspensions, just like people with different accounts, there's, you can always look at anything in two lenses. You know, it's really understanding why are you doing it? Being a little empathetic of like, do you just, maybe you don't know any better. Maybe this is your first time, or maybe you're actually trying to get one over on someone. And that's where risk always comes in. And that's where like underwriting and that stuff really comes in. And ideally you're using the best of both worlds. You're using people who can kind of see through the stuff that computers can't, and you're looking using you know computers and algorithms and machine learning to be able to synthesize tremendous amounts of data that no one person could get through in even a week, and you're doing that in minutes. Alex, it is always so fun to talk to someone who speaks my language because what you just described is a lot of what we do every day too. <laughs> Lots of reports and data and digging through accounts, but then human beings who have some empathy and are kind and um, work with the seller and explain when they don't understand the rules because there are so many rules and try and help them find a better model if something isn't working for them and but still understand the risks and say you can't do we're, we we have to come out and say, you can't do these things sometimes. And, you know, same, but the same kind of thing where we're melding the data with the people. It's just, it's just awesome to have these kind of conversations. And I really appreciate you taking, because I mean, it felt like we talked for 10 minutes. It's been an hour. So <laughs> I really appreciate you taking all this time to talk with me and to share all of your wisdom with our audience. This has been fantastic. Yeah. And I would say for anyone who's looking, who wants to check us out, check us out. You know, um, I don't like to do a big sales pitch or anything. I, my philosophy is we want to be a resource for companies. We want to help companies grow. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you if you want to check us out and see what we do.
Yeah, it's at payability.com and they do have real people just like we do. I love typing that with anyone who actually has real people who answer the phone because that's like a lost art these days, <laughs> real people who answer the phone. So check out their website, give them a call and let them talk to you about your business because they are a consultative sale just like we are. Um, they're not trying to say, do you fit into this box? And if not, go away. We never want to talk to you again. And I know that they also are interested in building relationships so that if you're not ready now they want to work with you later that's the kind of company they are they're more of a relationship company than just um, you know fill out my form and get lost if you don't fit so give them a shout and see if they are a good fit for you and I have to do my housekeeping at the end or I'll get in trouble with Tina the marketing maven uh, please be sure and follow us and subscribe and like and do all those great things uh, because that way you can see our content as it is posted we've been doing these every week and I'm super excited this is our very first live to land on LinkedIn Woohoo! Um, so and if you have any questions for us even if you're watching later drop them in the comments section Tina monitors that like crazy and we can get back to you with any questions you have or we can forward information to Alex and his team so that yep. they can help you out happy to do that as well if you don't want to go searching around just drop a comment so and, uh, and and yeah. I believe for anyone, um, you know, any customers of yours or anyone who comes from here, I believe we do a $250 sign-on bonus. So if you, if you do want to check us out, make sure you go to go.payability.com slash Riverbend Consulting. And, uh, or just, you know, if you do check us out, make sure you mention that you saw us on Riverbend Consulting so we can get you that sign-on bonus. You need bonuses in your life. We all do. This is fantastic. Well, thank you so much again, Alex, and everyone else out there. Happy selling. You got it. And thanks for having me.